Hey guys, welcome back. We're glad you're here. Today, we're going to be taking a little bit of a turn as we go into the next category. For the last uh, several podcasts, we've been talking about things mostly related to church governance and structure. And we're turning the corner now into church culture. So we're talking about the heart of New Song and the imperatives for us as a church. We want to start this with kingdom-centric. And so what we're talking about is being a church that models a kingdom-centric identity. Yeah, I think it would be important for us to start by making a distinction between the ideas of a kingdom-centric church and a church-centric church. In our culture and traditionally, historically, most churches have had and do have a church-building focus or a church-centric gathering in their mission, in their application of how they live out their mission, and the day-to-day life of the church family. What do we mean by a church-centric church? If you look at churches around you, you can pretty much pick one from anywhere in your local neighborhood and see how they are structured in the way that they do life together as a church. And as you do that, you'll see a lot of amazing things, a lot of wonderful things, a lot of fantastic ministries, a lot of really great programs, a lot of beautiful family life going on in the body. But when you begin to boil a lot of that down, you see that most of it is a focus on building the church. In other words, how can we bring people inside the walls of the church? How can we strengthen our body? How can we cause our body to grow? How can we cause our body to have more impact, more presence, more of a footprint in the city? All of those things. All of those things are inward focused to some degree. They also have the main idea of causing the church to be strengthened and healthy. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. However, as we have prayed and as we've been involved in ministry for many years, we have come to the conviction that the Lord had a little bit of a different idea in mind when he launched his disciples into bringing the kingdom. If we go back actually to Matthew chapter 10, we see that the Lord here in in this chapter is sending out his disciples for the first time to go into the cities of Israel and he gives them a list of instructions. But the very first thing he says is go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is in verse six. And in verse seven, it says, and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And then he goes on to give further instructions. So his very first instruction to his disciples as he sends them out on mission, so to speak, is he's telling them, hey, guys, it's time for you to make proclamation to the people of Israel. And here's what I want you to say. I want you to tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is here. And then I want you to demonstrate for them what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It's not enough to say it. You have to do it. You have to live it. So to demonstrate that, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse lepers. I want you to cast out demons. That way, the people of Israel, your kinsmen, will know what the kingdom of heaven actually looks like. 
Now, if we flip forward to the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, we come to that passage that most people know as the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, we see that Jesus, now the resurrected Lord, is giving his disciples final instructions. And his final instructions are, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's Jesus's last set of instructions to his disciples. And in reality, they're not all that different than his first set of instructions, his first missional set of instructions to his disciples. And the commonality is this. He's sending them out to go into the earth and to make disciples, in other words, so that you can duplicate yourselves in the earth and raise up those who will know me, who will walk as kingdom carriers, and who can do the same thing again and again, duplicating themselves over and over again, raising up more disciples. So the mission hasn't changed that much, except now he's saying, guess what? You get to carry the good news. Not only is the kingdom of heaven here, but you're going to make disciples in my name. And Chris and I believe that those instructions that he gave haven't changed. They haven't changed in the 2000 years since he ushered us into that era of going and making disciples. Unfortunately, what we see now in our postmodern society is yes, churches still want to make disciples, but instead of having a kingdom focus, we've begun to focus all of our efforts on building up the church to become strong, to become effective within the four walls of the church, and then sending out emissaries, so to speak, from the church to go fulfill this great commission. Right. And how has that happened? That's one of the things that we constantly ask ourselves as we evaluate what church primarily looks like. And in our experience, what we see is that one of the biggest stumbling blocks for most churches, short-circuiting them from getting to this better conclusion, is that we build this, this universe and live inside of it. And our expectation is, okay, let's have the world come inside of our universe mm-hmm. and get to know who we are and get to know what this particular church stands for and get to know how great things are in here instead of going out, instead of having an outward focus. And I don't think that that's intentional. I think that the churches end up in that place. Oftentimes, we shoot ourselves in the foot because of our focus on making church better for churchgoers. And what that results in, as soon as we have a mindset of pleasing the attendance, pleasing the people who show up at church, that quickly and exponentially gets out of hand. Yeah, oftentimes what we can see, and it's not hard to find, is this mentality of catering to the congregation. In other words, as Chris said, how can we make this the most amazing church experience that you could possibly have? And unfortunately, one of the reasons we see this happening is this very subtle 
mostly unspoken, sometimes completely hidden in the mind of church staff. They're, in other words, they're not aware of it even themselves. This attitude of competition. We want to make our church really fantastically amazing so that you'll come to our church, so that our church will grow, so that our church will have the most impact, so that our church will be the best in the city, so that we can have the most powerful ministry, so that we can really fulfill our calling. Well, what that does is that begins to, in this very subtle way, pit each church against the other. And then it becomes about sheep swapping, as we've talked about in previous episodes. So this is the competition that you're talking about. And that actually drives us more toward a focus on gaining other believers instead of a focus on going out and discipling the lost. Right. Even if we start with a motivation of wanting to draw the lost in, wanting to have a phenomenal youth program so that we draw the lost youth in our city in, or a phenomenal singles program, or a really great kids program, oftentimes what that degenerates into is this method of vying for bodies in the pews. And that boils down to many times, instead of it being new believers coming in, believers coming from other churches. Okay, you mentioned programs, and that's another issue, is programs and events. Here's what we find is that many times when a church is focused on programs and events, even if they are fantastic programs, valuable events, many times that ends up having just the opposite effect. It actually creates an inward focus and prevents us from discipleship, having the time to disciple, having the awareness of getting outside of the church discipling individuals reaching the lost. And we don't want to leave an impression that we are against programs or against churches that have these amazing opportunities for people to come and be a part of. That's certainly not our perspective. But I think that we have gained a conviction over the years that those things are good, but there's something better. We believe that programs are good. However, we believe having a kingdom-centric focus is best. It's the best use of our time. It's the eternal investment that the Lord is asking us to make, to be able to have eyes that are outwardly focused on building the kingdom rather than inwardly focused eyes that are building our church. And another thing I want to add to this, too, is that oftentimes when we have this church-centric focus, it unfortunately is a result of the influence of the world. And what I mean by that is the world is always pushing us into a corner as the church. They're wanting us to fit into their mold. So that pressure that we feel from society as the church oftentimes results in this mentality of, if we can look like the world in the way that we appeal to them, asking them to come, giving them a lure to bring them in, and we give them enough of a sense that, hey, we're just like you. We've got the cool factor. We've got the fun factor. We've got the deep, intimate relationship factor. But we've also got the no pressure factor. If we give people in the world that sense, then they'll want to come and they'll want to join and they'll want to stick around. 
And Chris and I fully believe that this is not what the Lord has asked his church to do, how he's asked us to look. Yeah, honey, that's really good. And I think that what that does is it is it leaves this void. Okay, then what? We believe that a church-centric model actually, in many ways, works against this bigger picture of discipleship. And how do we get to this kingdom-centric model of discipleship? Well, it's in letting go of programs and events and spending our energy instead on raising up, strengthening, and maturing believers. And then what do we do with those believers? We send them out. And so it's this constant flow of identifying gifts, raising them up, maturing and training them, and sending them out instead of a kind of a, one of the things that the church has developed over the years is kind of this hoarding mentality. And maybe that goes back to the competition factor that you mentioned before, because if we have better people if we've got more evangelists, if we've got better teachers, if we've got the best kids program, etc., more people are going to come. As opposed to an idea of how do we raise up and send out more people? And if our focus is on discipleship, then that's how we behave in church together. Yeah, and I think if we look at current church culture, it's not hard to see that this church-centric mentality, building the church rather than building the kingdom, has actually done the opposite. It's had the opposite effect on the church that we have thought it would have. And here's what I mean by that. Unfortunately, and what's very grieving to our hearts as we've seen this and observed it, we have churches across our nation filled with weak anemic believers, believers who don't know the word of God, believers who don't know the power of the Holy Spirit, and believers who don't actually live those things out on the streets in Mm. such a way that it becomes irresistible to the people that they're in community with. And those people say, I want what you have. Instead, we have buildings filled with people who are coming to be entertained, who are coming to be filled up. If we take the analogy of sheep, they're coming to be fattened, so to speak, and they're just becoming fatter and fatter and fatter, sitting there getting fuller and fuller and weaker because they're not actually going and building the kingdom of God. So what our hope, what our prayer is, is that new song would be a vehicle for the Holy Spirit to begin to make a shift in our region in regards to changing our mentality so that we can change the world. We begin to take our mind off of how do we build the church and instead we focus our whole heart, energy, and effort on, no, how do we build the kingdom of God? In fact, Jesus says in Matthew when he's talking to Peter, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Mm. And this is something that if you're spending time with Chris and I, you'll hear us say this. The Lord himself has declared that he will be the one to build the church. We don't have to take that burden upon ourselves. We don't have to have this idea or this striving of how do we make it better? How do we make it bigger? How do we have it have the impact that we want it to have? Instead, 
Our responsibility is to go out and build the kingdom of God, to preach, to make disciples, to release the power of God on the streets and in every neighborhood that we're in and every marketplace that we're in so that the hunger of people is stirred in their spirits. They want what we carry and new baby believers are being born all over the city. And so what we've come to believe is that this kingdom-centric model is committed to four different areas of growth, ministering to Jesus, ministering to the body, ministering to the lost, and then ministering to the world. So when we say ministering to Jesus, we're talking about worship and prayer. That's our time gathering together, ministering to the body. We're talking about discipleship, ministering to the lost. We're primarily talking about evangelism and ministering to the world. That's also evangelism, but more specifically, we're talking about bringing heaven to earth. Yeah, bringing heavenly solutions for all the areas of culture would be ministering to the world. How can we demonstrate the beauty of heaven's ways to the world in such a way that they have solutions brought into areas where there need to be heaven's ideas? And I want to just take a few minutes to open up this first area, ministering to Jesus, because a lot of people would wonder, why is that our focus as a church? Why do we believe what we believe? We've talked about how when we gather together, the primary focus, the primary purpose is to minister to Jesus. And so we set this table and we say, Jesus, this is your time. We're going to focus on you. We're going to lift you up. We're going to exalt your name. We believe that all these other important elements that have to happen, that we must be focused on, preaching the gospel to the nations, evangelizing the lost, we believe that those things flow out of ministering to Jesus. It reminds me of in Revelation, there's a fairly famous scripture in the third chapter, 20th verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with him and he'll eat with me. And I want to remind you that this scripture is not addressing the lost. This is addressing the church. This is Jesus himself inviting the church, dine with me, fellowship with me. Let's build relationship together. Don't close me out. Let me in. And we believe that we're in a season right now of going after that with all of our hearts, pursuing intimacy with Jesus, making that the priority for our meeting time together and seeing what flows out of that, recognizing what's then on his heart, how he wants the teaching to look, how he wants the prophetic to look, coming out of lavishing Jesus with love. Yeah, everything flows from intimacy. And I think that when we take the time to set that table for Jesus and we enter into this dining with him moment that we have as we gather together as the body corporately, everything begins to shift and the heart of Jesus begins to be released as we honor him, 
as we prepare the way for him. He then enters into our midst corporately and begins to share with us what's on his heart. We're saying, Jesus, we want to be intimate with you right now. And he returns and responds to us. I want to be intimate with you as well. So here's what's on my heart. Here's how I want you to begin to intercede. Here's how I want you to encourage each other. Here's how I want you to strategize. Here's the area of culture that this week I want you to focus on. And here's the breakthrough that I want to bring. So all these things flow out of us ministering in intimacy to Jesus. One last thing on that topic, I I believe that there's actually a metaphor in scriptures in the New Testament for where the church is at today with regard to this issue of being kingdom-centric versus me-centric or church-centric. And that is in the stories related to Mary and Martha. We have three or four episodes in the New Testament in the Gospels of interaction between Jesus and Mary and Martha. And I'm not going to teach on this right now. It's a pretty big topic, but I'll summarize it by saying every time that we have an interaction in the Gospels between Jesus and Mary and Martha, we see Martha busy. We see Mary ministering to Jesus, literally on her knees at Jesus' feet in every interaction. What I believe that speaks to us about today is... That instead of being a church that is a busybody church, that is interested in our programs and in our structure and asking lots of questions about how we should tackle this and how we should tackle that, that where we belong today is on our knees at the feet of Jesus. And then he will speak life into the things that are important from his perspective, that he will reveal what we should be engaged with and what we should be spending our time on and everything else can fade away. Yeah, and to take point two that Chris mentioned regarding a kingdom-centric model, that point being ministering to the body through discipleship, I think this is so crucial for us to understand because when we gather corporately, that's one of the things that does happen. It happens through us sharing a word or someone bringing a teaching or ministering in prayer or prophecy, all of those things are actually part of the discipleship process. It also happens during the week as we act like the body of Christ and break bread with one another and fellowship with one another, Mm -hmm. spend time pouring into each other's lives, the more mature believers into the younger believers specifically. But this also happens with what we call pre-believers. And discipleship with pre-believers is this idea of being so kingdom-centric that wherever we go, we're just releasing the kingdom of God. As we release the kingdom of God, it becomes, like Paul describes, a fragrance. It becomes this fragrance to those who are perishing. And either it becomes a fragrance of life to those who are hungry and have eyes to see, or of death to those who reject Jesus Christ. So we're going about our business, releasing the kingdom everywhere we go. And this fragrance of Jesus Christ becomes released from our lives Mm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. That fragrance actually is the first step to discipleship for pre-believers. So 
let's just take the example of we're in Lowe's and we're purchasing something in Lowe's. We're going and shopping for a home project that we're doing and we strike up a conversation with the guy who's mixing our paint. And as we're talking with the guy who's mixing our paint and we just begin to talk about our home and the church that meets in our home or we begin to talk about testimonies of what Jesus has done maybe and how he gave us the home or anything that just begins to flow out of us, this man who's mixing our paint begins to smell the fragrance of Jesus Christ. Then as we're coming back in and we begin to build relationship with him, we begin to talk with him about our lives and how God is moving in our lives. And he becomes interested in that. And he wants to have conversation about that because his heart is being stirred by the Holy Spirit. All of those things that we are depositing in him through conversation and interaction is actually discipleship in the truth for this man who's not yet a believer, but is hungry to know more. And that is just as core to a kingdom-centric church as ministering to Jesus is in our corporate mm-hmm. gatherings. Amen. That's really good. And actually, we're going to open that up a little bit more, honey, in, in the coming episodes and talk about ministering to the lost power and prayer evangelism, what that looks like. And so we've got a lot to discuss there, but this this does it for Kingdom-Centric Church. We want to uh, thank you for joining us and look forward to the next topic the next time. Mm-hmm.